what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. I am the co-executive director of the Foot Candle Film Society and co-director of the Foot Candle Film Festival. With me, as always, uh, I think... There's not been a single episode that I, it hasn't been the two of us. Is that right? I think there was one very special episode where Mary, Margaret, and I ran down the Oscars. Oh, that's right. I was traveling the one time you guys booted me out. And uh, <laughs> it's probably our highest downloaded podcast episode ever, <laughs> too, I'm that. sure. No. But, but anyway, you know. with me, as always, other than that one time, is <laughs> Chris Fry, Chris. who is also co-executive director of the Film Society and co-director of the Film Festival as well. Chris, how you doing? Doing good. Uh, looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the movies we have slated for today. We do have two movies that we're going to discuss in today's show. And this is our ongoing film review and discussion show. And we always fit in at least one or two reviews an episode, along with some movie news, which we will do in this episode as well. Uh, following our reviews, we'll talk about a couple of news items and then we'll have uh, recommendations that we'd like to make. Each of us give at least one recommendation of a film that we think is worth checking out on whatever format or medium you're able to to see it. So, Chris, we do have two films to review today, and they are ones I'm also very anxious to hear your thoughts on as well. Uh, first up, we'll be talking about the film Bohemian Rhapsody, which is the musical biopic of Freddie Mercury and Queen, uh, directed, kind of quote, directed by Brian Singer. Then we're going to move on to a review of the latest film and supposedly the last acted film by Mr. Robert Redford. The film is The Old Man and the Gun, directed by David Lowry and also starring Sissy Spacek. So that's our two films that we'll be discussing at length, followed by the news and then our recommendations. So with that in mind, are you ready to get started? Let's do it. All right. First up, Bohemian Rhapsody. I enjoyed the show. I also write songs. Our lead singer just quit. Then you'll need someone new. No one will play us on the radio. We need to get experimental. Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. Do it again. One more. How many more Galileos do you want? down, friend. I just need a bit of time. What if I don't have time? Chris, we have with Bohemian Rhapsody a musical biopic, and that is a genre that you and I have discussed over the years in this show, with both of us giving having some misgivings in certain ways the musical biopic has been handled. And by this, I'm saying just because I'm using kind of a shortened form, biography film about a musician or a musical group. Okay. We've had many, many of these over the years. And Chris, they got almost to the point cliche-wise well, they did get to the point of cliche to actually warrant their own parody film, Wall Card, The Dewey Cox Story. Right. 
So here we have Bohemian Rhapsody, which is, on, for all intents and purposes, is truly a musical biopic. It is detailing the life of Freddie Mercury and joining the band Queen, or at least creating the band Queen from that point. And it covers all the way from their inception to really their last performance together. But Chris, I have a question for you when looking at this film. Knowing that a biopic could take liberties with how it expresses a, a, a musical personality, how it exaggerates maybe some of the aspects of their life, how it puts it together in a more dramatic form to make a good movie. So my question to you is, is this the real life mm-hmm. or is this just fantasy? Ah. Talking about is this film, do you feel Am like I it's caught a, in a landslide? Are you yeah. caught in? Yeah, yeah, we can keep going for like six more sure. minutes if we wanted to. Sure. My question really boils down to more of a, did this film feel like a true, meaningful, realistic story of the Queen uh, story? Or are we looking at something that you felt like uh, was maybe falling too much in the traps of the typical biopic uh, and playing up the drama moments and maybe being a little more artificial than it needed to be. Kind of where where does it fall in that scheme of things first? Well, I definitely don't feel like it was uh, – it's interesting. I think you and I, I think Off Mike had talked about a preview that we'd seen Rocket Man that was going to be talking about Elton John's life, yeah. obviously, uh, Rocket Man. And then prior to seeing this movie, I saw the preview again. And that preview, and maybe the movie, we'll see when it comes out, definitely seems to have aspects of fantasy and whimsy, in addition to supposedly telling about Elton John's career. Um, we'll, we'll know when it comes out, whether or not it lives up to that. Yeah. Um, this film, I mean, I, I feel like it is, it is pretty straightforward. You know, you were talking about the trappings of a biopic where you have, you know, a little bit of origin, then you have rise to fame, and then you have fall with problems with the band and then you have some type of resolution at the end it's kind of the vh1's behind the music formula which then yeah has been parodied by you know walk hard and things like that and i've heard that criticism leveled against this film i guess where i come down on that question is simple answers yeah yeah this is pretty stereotypical uh biopic fair it doesn't really deviate from the formula but for me that doesn't mean that it was a bad movie. Okay. Um, reason being, was I familiar with all the intricacies of the Queen backstory? Am I a Queen super fan? No. But I did know at least plot points that I felt like they would hit, and they did hit. And it didn't bother me because I feel like, in a sense, if you're telling a biography and it follows the trajectory that is stereotypical, there's a reason it's stereotypical. <laughs> what you have to say is, is it communicated in an interesting way? Um, now, I do have problems with the film, mm-hmm. but the problems with the film that I have are not the fact that it follows kind of a stereotypical path. Okay. Um, I liked the film. Mm-hmm. Um, what really stood out for me were the performances more than anything else. I mean, I think you'd have to be really out to give this film, just railroad this film into saying it was terrible and everything. If you could totally dismiss um, the performance uh, Rami Malek gives, or Rami, I'm not sure how he says Rami. his name. Rami I've never Malek, actually yeah. met the fellow, but uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, the guy who plays Freddie Mercury. He, you know, obviously, you know the band Queen, but who do you know in Queen? You know Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the guy really had to carry the film, and I felt like he did. Yeah. Um, I could at times not remember that it was not a true documentary, you know, because I've just, he, 
even though he really doesn't look like him, mm-hmm. he does look like him once you just kind of, you just believe it's him. And I don't feel it's like... It's a physical performance. Yeah, and I don't feel yeah. like it's him mimicking Freddie Mercury or him, you know, it's just like, I feel like he just kind of, and you know, the hair, just the way he would, you know, I don't know, react to things. I just, I really liked the performance. Let's, let's talk so, about that performance for a minute. Cause sure. I do think that that's a linchpin of this film. Okay. It is the reason I'm going to say I like this film too. Okay. And that's because of his performance. I honestly think, and we'll get into reasons parts of the film didn't work for me, but I'm, I'm scared to think what this film would be like if you didn't have a really great performance playing Freddie Mercury. And I think Agreed. Rami Malek elevated the film to me. Sure. To where it could have been a very, I don't want to say boring. It could have just been a very just tedious music biography movie. I felt like his, his performance for me made it worth watching really. Mm -hmm. And you're right. When you really look at him as an actor and you look at Freddie Mercury's pictures, they don't really look like, but when he got on stage or even off stage, the physical performance, he embodied the energy that I think everybody associates with Freddie Mercury. That's what you see. And that's what got so impressive. I I think he won me over with his performance the very first time we see him on stage, Mm -hmm. which when he joined up with the band. He's winning the audience ever. He's winning the audience. What the band was called Smile before it was Queen. First time on stage. I mean, he's both kind of chaotic and he's also fumbling, trying to like come up with his own style. But once he connected with the audience and the band, I mean, it was right then. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm loving this performance. It's great. And it was the physicality of it. It was just a true energy, uh, moving my body, moving my face, moving my mouth into a way that I get people on board with what I'm doing. And that, that's what he really pulled off with this, this, uh, this performance. I agree. Other elements of the film you liked? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Because um, I feel like, you know, <laughs> you and I are probably going to get to the things that we didn't like as much. Sure. Um, the behind the scenes, if you could call it that, because it wasn't a true documentary, but kind of the inside of the studio that you got when they were coming up with Bohemian Rhapsody, which you see a little bit in the preview, which is unfortunate, but you see that kind of in the preview, but things you don't see in the preview that were kind of behind the scenes, a little bit of talk about them coming up with We Will Rock You, and Mm -hmm. then another one bites the dust. Mm -hmm. Both of those, there's a little bit of kind of going back to our view of Love and Mercy with Brian Wilson when he was doing Pet Sounds, you kind of get a little bit of an insight is, oh, here's the musicians in the studio, here's some things they're thinking about, here's some things that are they're trying. That to me was stuff that, true or false, I have no idea, but but I was not aware of. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, Queen maybe had tried these things or was thinking about these things when they were doing it. And so that was something that, even though I was fairly familiar with the Queen story coming into the film, that's something that I got out of it that I was appreciative for. And I really, you know, I liked and I wish, here's where I guess we can kind of slide, or Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm willing to slide into the negative, but I'll let you finish any positives you may have. I wish there had been a little bit more of that no, as opposed to some of the other trappings they focused on. I felt on. it was very cursory. It was very teasing. They gave you moments that were just like, Ooh, that's really good. I like that. And then that was it. Right. Um, even the moments like, uh, you know, talking about, I, I rattle off the same ones you did uh, talking about another one bites the dust or talking about, we are the champions. Right. I loved where those moments were going, exploring the development of that song. But then it's like, it just kind of kept it a very, some uh, arm's length uh, distance away and it just immediately cut away to something else. 
and it was disappointing because I yeah. love the I love the exploration of their creativity in the studio, and I think you've got some great moments with this band you could really mind more of. They obviously went into more detail with Bohemian Rhapsody as a song because that is kind of the linchpin song of the movie. I guess that, yeah. But I would have loved to see even more of that. I mean, I think there's a lot more they could have done with that. There's a lot to cover in a two-hour movie. I get that. But I I would have liked to see more of that as well. Well, Um, I felt like, yeah, development of the albums are kind of some things that were going on on tour. At one point, which is kind of a friction point in the band, they feel like they're touring, touring, or album touring, album touring, album touring, and they never have a break, and that's kind of a friction point. But then I feel like I didn't get to see them, like you've mentioned, work on the albums, but even like things that were going on on tour, you didn't, mm. it was just, it was kind of cursory. And it's like, even though I feel like it, the film covered a lot of ground, it was two hours and 15 minutes or whatever, I didn't feel like any of that was. I didn't feel like it was over long or anything and I wouldn't want it to be any longer, but yeah, somehow just the structure, yeah. the scripting, something. Well, let me, let me hit a couple of things I liked as well before we go into things that didn't work for us. Okay. Um, I, and I don't, I wrestled with whether or not this is a spoiler and I, I don't see how it can be. The, the, the big linchpin performance of the show is, um, the big live aid performance. I was going to, yeah, I don't think it's spoiling anything, but yeah, you could, that is their last performance. Obviously it's going to be a big part of a film about them as a band. And they really, I think did a great job in recreating that performance. They spent a lot of time on that performance in the, in the film. And I think I enjoyed every minute of it. So I was very happy with the decision they made to make that such a big centerpiece of the film and the way they recreated so much of it, I thought was awesome. So I, I was really happy with that. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree. I think that we talked in the past, actually, with The Star is Born, <laughs> yeah. um, which was two episodes ago. But, you know, regardless of how you feel about the film as it's going on, kind of the last shot or the lasting impression you get. And that kind of saved itself there, mm-hmm. Star is Born. But this film, I liked it. But then cementing my overall opinion was that decision in recreating the live aid 1985 performance. And that, that did work for me. And I was surprised at how well it worked for me, Yeah, but it, it really did. And I, it just, you know, I mean, even, when, even though I had, I've heard bits and pieces of that performance before, yeah. you know, I'd remember hearing about it, but I just, and I knew actually going in that that was going to kind of be a focal point. And then for it to still have the resonance that it did. I mean, it just proves that something about the film must be working. Yeah. So well, when it got to the end of that performance and they were, finished in their last song going off stage i'm like oh is that it oh i actually wanted could have used more i was happy with that so it was a i love the way it ended with that and i think gave us some real true reverence because of the critical role it played in the uh, their kind of their legacy at that point as a band i will say that i um i thought the moments when freddie mercury was not on stage and we actually got a little more glimpse into him as a human being were pretty well done I like them. The moments with him and uh, played by Lucy Boynton is his girlfriend, wife, Mary. I thought were really nice. Um, There's a moment where they have a little bit of a thing between them. They live in two different buildings next to each other Mm -hmm. because it's kind of to a point where they've separated, but yet they still have this really unique and I think well portrayed friendship and admiration for each other. And they kind of need each other. Right. Even if they're not husband and wife in a formal sense. 
but even a, a moment where the two of them have these communications between the windows on whole different floors and different building with lights. It was nice touches. I thought it was just a nice little insight. And I, those were moments where I felt like you got a little more understanding of who Freddie was mm-hmm. when he wasn't on stage. Right. And I think we needed those to carry the film. Now, We'll get to some problems, I think, that arose from that a little bit. But I think the quieter moments actually worked really well, especially between the two of them. I thought she was good. Lucy Boynton, who we also saw in Sing Street. She was the uh, lead lead uh, female in that film as well. I thought I thought she was pretty good. And I, I liked their energy together when they were on screen together. Um, it was a very unique relationship, which was a true relationship and not, you know, wasn't fictionalized terribly much. I don't think. No, um, from what I know. Yeah, yeah. I think it was pretty true. But I think it was just a very unique relationship we don't normally see on film. So right. it was nice to see that story played out. You want to move on to some things that didn't work? <laughs> sure. I'm very curious if the items I'm going to bring up are ones you also feel the same way about. So let me kind of start off and say I had a tough time with the other band member actors really <laughs> yeah i did because i did and i seem to be pretty alone on this but i i felt like and maybe it's more just the way they were written they were truly written as stand in fitting a certain character type people in the band i don't feel like we learned anything more about them which you know I get it. The movie's about Freddie Mercury. That's who most people are there to learn about. But I mean, it is a queen movie about Queen, and I feel like we learned so little about these other band members. Hmm. And they were put into such stereotypical roles. You've got Brian May, who's got to be the one who always is questioning, what's going on, Freddie? What are you doing, Freddie? Why are you doing this, Freddie? And it just seemed to be that was like his only reaction to things. And again, that's how it was written. He looked just like Brian May. But I just felt like there was just not enough depth in those characters. Then the other ones, you've got the one who I guess is supposed to be a little more free-spirited, the drummer. Don't really know. Didn't really get to know him very well. you got the one played by Joseph Mazzalo, who, did you realize he's the kid from Jurassic Park? Like, he was the young boy in Jurassic Park, like, back in 93? Anyway. He plays John Deacon, I guess the bass player. And even, (laughs) there's even a point where... Freddie Mercury, they're having a, a, an argument within the band, and he even is going around saying, Brian May, you'd, be a, you'd just be some physicist teacher somewhere, and you would be this. And he Taylor, gets to John Taylor Deacon. Be a dentist. Yeah, he gets to John yeah. Deacon and like, I don't even know what you would be. And I'm as an audience member going, yeah, I don't either, because I don't know anything about you. <laughs> See, I think if there hadn't have been that scene, I would probably feel maybe similarly. Uh, but I really, I was amazed at how much those people I thought looked like oh, the actual people like in real oh, life. absolutely. And I feel like because of the understanding, which I didn't know going in, and there again, I learned with the film, where... Um, Deacon and May basically started, they didn't start Queen, but they started, they were a band and then their singer leaves and Mercury kind of comes in. It's them. And then they pick up this other guy just to be a bass player. Yeah. And you know, John Deacon, he's just kind of, not that he's an afterthought, but it was, so the fact that he gets kind of shorter shrift kind of made sense to me because it was like, it was those three, then they picked up. And then, yeah, I, it, it made sense to me. That didn't that didn't bother me. Well, the problem with it, though, for me, is that for the moments later in the film where there are true tension, there's true conflict, they would have been so much more heightened if I felt like we knew the other band members as true people and not what I felt like were just more stereotypes. 
So that's for me. I think the I think the ending scenes would have been a lot more impactful. It was hard for me when they had a big speech late in the film about being a family. I never felt that. I never felt the family environment that they were like so keen on playing up in the film late in the film about why they were just still together after all these years now, why they came back together. It's because they're family and yet they utter those lines and I just it didn't feel warranted to me at all. Hmm. Um and this is played up, I think, too, a little bit. So story write is storytelling, or at least, you know, from a writing standpoint, I think the film had some real issues. I would agree. Um, some, Maybe not the same ones that you do, but I agree. Some that scenes, some somehow. dialogue scenes were really, really bad, I thought. Some things were very clunky and didn't work. I can pick out some specifics, but I think it points to more of a general theme where I just don't think it was as well written. I think performance-wise, especially uh, Rami Malek, really good. I think the use of music's really good. I think the pacing of it was really strong. It, it kept moving. It was a good fast paced moving film, but yeah, some of the writing was just really sloppy. Can we talk about Mike Myers for a minute? <laughs> yeah, sure. That's... Mike Myers has a part in the film. I honestly think it's probably one of the worst written scenes <laughs> I've seen in a long time. It was kind of painful to watch him do his part. Yeah. I don't know what was going on with it. I don't, I don't blame him. I, I blame I blame the fact that it's the script. I don't know if I can blame blame the director Brian Singer or not, a producer who thought Ooh. it might be funny because it's the whole kind of fourth wall thing where I get the Wayne's world it, but... and the meta, but yeah, it just doesn't. I don't. But it's like, oh, let's get Mac Meyer. Let's put him in uh, makeup where he's almost unrecognizable. Let's have him do a, a fun accent, but he just sits there. And yeah. rattle off lines, and there's yeah. really no emotion, anything going on in that room in that scene. No. That scene, the and bringing arg- him back for a laugh line <sighs> later is uh, is terrible. The arguments with the music executive, I thought, were very by the numbers, very like ex- exactly what you would expect him to be in a musical biopic. There was nothing at all about it that made it interesting. I thought. Um, <laughs> and another Although example I did yeah I agree that was kind of a weak yeah. scene the Mike Myers cameo it would have been better if it had just been some random person actually I feel like the fact that it was Mike Myers was like hey look at me even though I'm yeah. not supposed to be recognized like yeah. that did kind of take away for me but I will say in that scene and I agree could have been written better but them whether or not this is true I like I would like to think it is when they're pitching the idea of a night at the opera and they start playing opera music and everything. No, that's cool. That to me was funny, and I really hope it was true. And then yeah. the, Mike Myers kind of like freaking out, like what, what, do you, what's going on here? You know, like yeah. I thought that was funny. But yeah, as far as I, I get what you're saying, just I the totally writing understand. was really very safe and by the numbers, and yeah. just so hokey too. I thought it just it just didn't feel authentic and work for me. Another scene that I thought kind of fell in that same really bad writing camp it's a short scene but man it bugged me so we're at live aid queen's on stage or getting ready to go on stage there has been an entire day of big huge musical acts performing all day but yet we cut to a shot of bob geldoff or whoever's playing bob geldoff i don't know the the name of the actor but bob geldoff is backstage in his little office like the war room i guess during live aid of people who are taking all the donations Mm -hmm. somebody comes up to him before queen goes on stage is like we haven't gotten any. Like, there has not been any donations given to Live Aid throughout the entire day when you've had every big act known to man playing. 
And he's all distraught and like, oh, no, what's going on? No, this is a bad idea. Then Queen goes on stage and all of a sudden everything starts exploding in the in the room with the calls. Now, I I will give it that I'm sure Queen was probably one of the biggest draws they had for money making on Live Aid. But it was so poorly written the way it was played Agreed. off on screen. So just groan inducing. And I really tried not to let it ruin the rest of the performance film. But man, those scenes were just See, tough it, to watch. And it didn't for me. And yeah. I kind of thought that was odd. And I agree. Poorly handled, poorly written. I went after the fact and looked up some stuff. Okay. And apparently, I don't know that it, they hadn't gotten nothing. But there was something to there not being a lot of money. And supposedly Bob Geldof was freaking out well, like that. Okay. But in the All context right. of this movie... That doesn't matter. It was, well, it was just and supposedly so after the performance, the was he done. was like all distraught because he's like, "Oh, there's this amazing performance. Why didn't we have it?" And then supposedly after the Queen performance, all this money did start okay. rolling in. All right. But you're right. Within the context of this film, that doesn't matter. Yeah. It's not about Live Aid. It's not about raising money for Africa, even though that is very important. But in the yeah. context of this film. That's not what we we care about the band, you know. And you're right; I could see how that well, was. See, that was actually neither that, here that actually there. leads me to another, I think, writing issue with the story. There's a conflict between uh, Freddie Mercury and his father throughout yeah. the film. Yeah, that conflict is resolved, I think, by Live Aid. By Live Aid, <laughs> which yeah, again, conveniently for made no sense to me how that all fit together there. I could make excuses for it, but I don't think it's worth that. But to get <laughs> so. the kind of reconciliation we got, because he's now going to be performing at this concert, and it's like nothing we're really privy to him having any interest in doing this kind of thing before. Right. It was really way too convenient, I, a way to stitch it together. I so agree. just the writing in general. It's like, I think the Queen's story is interesting enough. I do too. And I don't think they need to create some artificial drama contrivances. or contrivances right. to make it work. I'd agree. Those moments bothered me. Not enough to not like the film, sure. but just they do bug me. And I just wish that they didn't feel the need to overwrite some of the things in the, in the movie like they did. I, I would agree. I, you know, you, we've kind of covered a lot of things that I had grievances with. Um, I'll just hit, you know, one or two here real quick. Sure. Because a lot of it comes back to writing, I think. Yeah, I think writing thing. was definitely the, the thing I wish would have been stronger on the now, film. Now, if we're going to talk about trajectory of biopics and standard, and I, I already said that didn't bother me. Starting off the film, I, I hate I unless there's a specific reason, and I already heard this was kind of stereotypical bookends. I don't like them, <laughs> and I really wish they had not bookended this movie. Oh, that's if too you bad. started like off that. and just started off and not have the bookend of Live Aid, because actually it really made me grind my teeth and kind of worry there at the beginning. I'm like, oh. I know where this is going because they start off and mm. then they cut and then you're like, yep. And this whole movie is building. It's kind of a Dewey Cox thing. This whole thing is building to the performance and they did it. But that being said, didn't bother me. And that final performance was really good. So, and I think I, I, there's something yeah. too, and it's kind of the nerd in me, the fact that it wasn't just showing them performing at Live Aid. No, apparently they took the performance from Live Aid and they recreated the whole thing. So that, to me, made it kind of unique. It wasn't like, no, we're going to cut to the last song with the crowd going yeah. crazy and then fade to black. No, they actually had them go on stage and do the whole performance. So for yeah. 20 minutes, you're just watching people perform Supposedly songs. Supposedly it was all but one song. Okay, all but it, one song. They recreated. So it would have been like 15 minutes instead okay. of 20 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, But still, I mean, I thought that was pretty cool. I did too. Um, I'd be interested to know what song they left out. I have to go. Uh, crazy little... Uh, uh, um, 
crazy little thing called love. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that brings me to one of my, that's a nice transition to okay. one of my negative. Okay. So other than um, like we've mentioned script and kind of tone being all over the place, which I kind of blame with script. Two last things I'll mention. I actively disliked. I think I'd have to go back and watch the movie again because I want to see it once. I think it was the montage that they put with crazy little thing called love. I, I don't think, remember that song being in there. Okay, well, let me describe the yeah, montage. Describe the montage, because if it's be like, the same montage I'm thinking of, I know exactly what you're talking about. you know, they've alluded to Freddie's sexuality and the fact that, you know, he was married to Mary, but yet they have kind of a strange relationship. He does seem to be, you know, attracted to members of the opposite sex. And I think it's Crazy Little Thing Called Love, where they basically have this montage of him and his manager slash kind of love interest partner, mm-hmm. Paul, I think is his name. And they basically go to like a gay bar and I just, I really actively hated that. Um, I, th- I, I don't think it was the queen song that was playing okay, so at the bar. I think it was like some band, some song playing at the bar. Okay. So it wasn't was. crazy little thing. I don't think it was. Okay. I don't remember that song being in the film. I, I don't know if no. I, I thought it was, but I just, I really hated that sequence because to me, even though, you know, his sexuality is, you know, everybody who basically goes sure. to see this movie probably knows that. My daughter, yeah. who knows right. about Queen, she even knew, yeah, Freddie Mercury's mm-hmm. gay. Like, she knew that. So I just feel like, in a way, it was I don't, somehow disrespectful. Could have been handled better. Well, it was almost kind of like jokingly done, and it kind of, I felt, well, I, I thought it was very offensive, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Let me key off of that, because that was actually the last thing I was going to bring up that okay. I think is. I've got actually, one more after that. That's fine, but I think this is actually a, a, a real issue with the film in general. Okay. I think it is very offensive to gay culture. I, I think it's very offensive to homosexuals, personally. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not yeah, homosexual. I don't right. know. I haven't I spoken to any. But I, if you think about it, the whole film, the whole story of Freddie Mercury, as far as this film is concerned, concerned is he started going, quote, off the rails when he adopted this lifestyle of being with other homosexuals and the parties and the clubs and all that. We uh, never you know saw Freddie you know do anything wrong. You know what? I think that may be it. Something about that scene. And I, th- I think that's why. I think, yeah. now granted, I've only seen it once. But yeah, I think you're keying in on it. it maybe it wasn't the song, the crazy little thing called Love. I think that's what I was thinking it was, yeah. but maybe it wasn't even that song. But yeah, it's like, oh, the fact that he's choosing a gay lifestyle is ruining everything. Look at how wild. Well, look at look all at the this. drugs. Yes, that's totally Look at these what, examples, that, Chris. Yeah, that's, look at these that's examples. In the film... Everything starts to go downward for the band when Freddie adopts this, this embraces his this lifestyle now. Right now, granted, we are introduced to this manager uh, assistant person that we know is supposed to be kind of a, a bad influence on on Freddie. Right, but but we're led to believe by the motions of the other band, the, the words of the, the other band members, that things that Freddie's not doing a good thing and is being bad because of this lifestyle he's adopted. We don't ever see him doing anything wrong other right. than showing up late to practice. Right. <laughs> That's it. Twice, but somehow, more than more, more, it's kind yeah, of like but a still, thing. The idea is that Freddie, there's a party scene at one point at Freddie's house that he throws. And it's obviously very much, you know, uh, um, embracing drinking, drugs, sex. Yeah. So, yeah. But he's having a good time. Everybody around him is having a good time. The band's just like, oh, Freddie, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're, you're, you're ruining the band. You're messing us all up. It's like, well, but why? How so far? He's not really doing anything wrong necessarily. The drugs were kind of more implied. I think we all know that drugs played a much harder role than they did in the film. And in I his think life. that could be. But 
a sellout thing of making the film PG thirteen as opposed to yeah. R. And I think if they'd better if they'd left it R, maybe they could show some rougher stuff, and then you'd be like, okay, it was just it's it was not, just troubling for me understand. because it almost was painting the picture of him embracing his homosexuality and adopting that that lifestyle was the thing that ruined Queen right. and caused problems. I, and I don't think that's that way, fair but... at all. I think that was a really gross oversimplization of it. There were other things that were impact. I think the the drugs were probably the, the biggest thing that obviously, you know, were really watered down in the film, but we know played a big part. You know, him having, you know, sex with other partners, I mean, you know, that's not it's not a bad thing. It's just you know, I think it's more that meant to be this decadent lifestyle right. got out of control. Right. But I don't really ever feel like we ever really saw it get that out of control to the point where it causes the friction in the band that it does. Right. I see. So it's, anyway. I think it's, it's a writing thing. And yeah. 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 Um, I'll say the last thing, and this is not a writing thing. Okay. <laughs> this is just a stylistic choice, I believe, on part of the director or maybe the yeah. editor. But it really irritated me. Um <laughs> The title sequence that they did when they went to the U.S. <laughs> and it just said like Midwest U.S. And it came up and I was like, okay. And then they went into this dolly shot or like, you know, this, you know, it was basically a dolly shot through the tour bus. And I was like, okay. And then that was it. And then they would have these title sequences of the different touring different cities. Mm. It was like Freddie Mercury's silhouette kind of dancing on stage. And then they would sprout like New York, L.A. And I was not good. I was like, what? What is happening? It was like I was watching a bad 80s music video or something, which, okay, maybe that's their intent. But when the whole rest of the movie is a lot slicker and a lot better done, and then these title sequences are just very... They're very out of place. jarring, retro, weird. Yeah, I think they're lazy. It's a lazy Lazy. writing. (laughs) Lazy is another way to say it. It's very typical. Oh, we got to show the band on the move. We got to show them getting bigger. We went really quickly from Queen not being known by anybody to being this huge band across America in the film. It happened like within a couple minutes. And I hate when they use a montage to portray that, but that's exactly what they did. Sure. Look, they're touring the United States and the crowds are getting bigger. And now we're just going to flash up the names of the cities and show like little five second shots from each city. It was, it was really, that was probably to me the most stereotypical biopic behind the music VH1 documentary thing they could have pulled. And they did. And it was frustrating. So um, I like the film. I, did I generally will give musical biopics a little more of a pass because I like the format. I like, <laughs> you like music. The stories. I like music. I <laughs> yeah. like stories about musicians. Um, but I do feel like the writing was pretty sloppy for good parts of the film. And it's a shame because the music was so solid. The performances, the, the musical performances were so good. Rami Malek was so good. Right. I just hate that the film got hobbled a little bit, which is some really sloppy, uh, lazy writing. I would agree. And we won't go in because I think we've mentioned it, news items on past shows, but writing and you can't help but think all the drama about, you mentioned it, kind of teased a little bit about Brian Singer being replaced. Yeah. If the combination of those two, you know, kind of dooms this film. And that's what kind of surprised me is I'd heard mixed reviews prior to seeing it. And Honestly, I imagine those both were, you know, we've talked about how the writing is problematic. Some of the directing could have been better, and maybe that's because of what happened. All that considered, I was amazed at how well I did like it. Expectations, which we've talked about on the show, sometimes they come back and bite you in the butt. But with this, you know, I was afraid to throw out another reference to another episode. I was afraid this was going to be another Venom, (laughs) (laughs) where you had a good cast, you had a capable director, and it's like, okay, 
And then you're just like, wow, this is just nothing but a train wreck. Like, this is just, it's pretty much terrible. No, this movie wasn't terrible. You know, the subject matter, you've said, you know, I feel like, did it deserve better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think because the subject matter was so strong, you know, the acting of Rami Malek playing Freddie Mercury was so strong that it does support it so that it doesn't fall apart. I, I completely agree. I will say, agree. if you're not a Queen fan, yeah, you probably don't want to go see this movie. <laughs> well, I mean, you still could. I mean, actually, you could. I'll take I'll take my my son, my 16 year old, not a, not a real Queen fan, didn't really know much about them. You mm. know, he went, he loved the movie, okay, and actually started listening to the Queen music Queen. afterwards. So, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's not. I think I think if you just are, if you enjoy films about music, sure, and musical performances and dynamic musical personalities, yes, I think it's worth seeing. If musical biopics, okay, I'll, I'll put it this way. If you have gotten bored with the musical biopic formula over mm-hmm. the last 15, 20 years, and you think they're bad, you may not like this film because it does follow every single beat of a typical musical biopic. But I will say, but I think the just, performance, well done, yeah. performance and the content elevate it to sure. where it's a well-done version of it. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. Um, I do think the the final 15, 20 minutes really saved the film. Not saved it, elevated it to a film of being a passable film for me to a really great film. And then Rami Malek as, as Freddie Mercury made it something to watch. I mean, you really want to go see it. If I'm going to watch this film again, it's because I'm watching his performance, most of it. And I'll say, too, the performance was awesome, especially the culminating one um, of the Live Aid thing. But the credit... the I guess explanation credits that went up that talked about like, this is what happened to queen. This mm-hmm. is that I, I was irritated by those as well. <laughs> no, they um, didn't. I, I, felt, I, I totally expected them. Yeah. I knew they were going to come. So I kind of prepared myself for, we're going to get the, the title cards coming up, telling us what happened. Since to, then. Yeah. And after the live aid performance. I, I, w- I was happier that they just ended with the live aid performance. True. And that was Instead it. Instead of showing, trying to do a, Showing I, years down the road. Yeah, I think it would have been a mistake to show Freddie getting really sick no, and how they made another album. And all, yeah, I think that would have. That's not the thing you want to remember yeah, from the film. I just going wish they it. could have maybe trimmed the credit, the <laughs> title cards. There were but, like five or six albums. Yeah, it was pretty were. lengthy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's Bohemian Rhapsody. It's it's doing pretty good music uh, performance wise as far as box office. And uh, Chris, let me just ask you: Yes or no? Should Rami Malek get an Oscar nomination for his performance? I I think it would be surprising if he didn't. Surprising um, if he didn't. If he did not. So you feel like he's I feel like he should. A likely yeah. candidate to yeah, get nominated. Yeah, I think so. No, do I think he should win? Yeah, well that's another yeah, question. It's kind but, of an early question for that. Right, but. and you got to see what performances he's running up against, but I I think he deserves a nomination. I, I think the physicality of his performance and the Which energy and the style. The academy tends to like physicalities when you put like obviously he had some teeth put in to make his teeth look Well, weird. just his presence on stage. I've seen Robbie Malik in Mr. Robot, a show I like a lot. He could not be playing a more opposite character with Mr. Robot, where that is a the most reserved, timid. There's no physical action with that guy. It is all in his maybe his eyes, if anything. Hmm. This, I was actually nervous when I heard Robbie Malik was slated to play this guy because I'm like, how is he going to pull that off? I've never seen Freddy him. Mercury. I've never seen him open his mouth loud, loud, big enough to like produce this kind of noise and music and all. But he got up on stage, and in this movie, he he nailed it. He had a really great time with it, and I think it's a great performance. So, yeah. Okay, that is Bohemian Rhapsody, still playing in movie theaters as we record this right now. We're going to move on to our second review, which is a film that may be a little harder for you to find where you live, but it's The, the Old Man and the Gun. What did you say you do? Well, that's a secret. 
And why is that? Well, because if I told you, you probably wouldn't want to see me again. Who said I was going to see you again? Would you? Well, let's take this place. Say it was a bank. And instead of that counter up there, that was really a teller's window. And you just walk in, real calm. So you walk right up, look her in the eye, and you say, ma'am, this is a robbery. And you show her the gun, like this. And you say, I wouldn't want you to get hurt, because I like you. I like you a lot. So don't go breaking my heart now, okay? <sighs> You're not serious. So if you believe the hype, supposedly The Old Man and the Gun, the new film from David Lowry, is supposed to be Robert Redford's possibly last on-screen performance. It's based on the true story of Forrest Tucker and his escape from San Quentin at the age of 70, and then he goes on an unprecedented string of bank robberies and confounds authorities and enchants the public, because I think they're called the Over the Hill Gang, I think is what they, they say in the movie. Um, for David Lowry, he's had a run of movies that he had Ain't Them Body Saints, he did Pete's Dragon, he did Ghost, A Ghost Story. So he's kind of had an interesting career. So Alan, what I want to know from you is, how do you feel like this film would, is for David Lowry's career as far as a rising director in fame and esteem? And also, how do you feel like it is a capstone to Mr. Redford's, if it is indeed the capstone, to Mr. Redford's acting career? I will say, uh, to address your questions, I think for, for the David Lowry side as a director, I'm not as familiar on too many of his other films. I've seen you, the Peach Dragon. You saw remake, Peach Dragon. Okay. That's it. I okay. have not seen a ghost story. have not seen any them Bodhi Saints or Body Saints. So um, I don't know how to say that this follows his or what kind of trajectory it puts him on as a director. I will say this is a film that I liked. I liked more for the style of the film, mm. which I do credit the director with almost exclusively. I mean, he, the shooting style, the film quality and texture, the uh, pacing, the camera movements at times, interesting movements he'd pull off, the kind of 70s, 1970s vibe that the whole film has. Absolutely. All that worked for me. And I thought style wise, I really liked this film. So I give the director a lot of credit for that. Okay. And I think he maybe cemented a little bit of his style with this film, too, that I feel like he maybe was experimenting with in some other previous works. For Mr. Redford, I think it's a good capstone. Okay. I think the fact is he's playing a character that has a lot of similarity and callbacks to performances earlier in his career. And I think that's very intentional. I think the meta element of this film kind of works well as a let's close out his career. I mean, there's even montages, one montage in particular that actually kind of plays with his previous performances and even using a clip of some of his previous performances to show him at a younger age. Right. So as a capstone, I'm fine with it. I think Robert Redford was pretty good in this film. I liked his character. You know, everybody in the film comments about how he's just so nice and a gentleman. And I felt the same way. I'm like, yes, I'd like to sit down and talk with this guy. I'd like to go follow him around and spend time with him. And he's an interesting character. So for all those elements, I like the film. Uh, I'm going to sound a little bit like a broken record from Bohemian Rhapsody. I think the problem with the film, the thing that didn't work as well is the writing. Oh, man. Um, There's just not a lot to this film. Sure. And at the end of the day, we're kind of left with a film that didn't really have as much say as I think it could. So you kind of felt like wanting a little more depth, a little more uh, story where I'm not somebody who feels like a film's got to have a beginning, middle and end, but this film really didn't have much 
in terms of a lot of that. So uh, it didn't keep me from not liking it, but I definitely liked it more for the style than I did the content. So yeah, I can, what about I, you, Chris? I can see that. Um, yeah, I was. I feel like this is an interesting entry into both of their careers. Um, I was a little. I, I feel like the film is just it's the the. <laughs> The damnation that we put on films, and we're kind of like, eh, it's okay. That's kind of how I feel you're about just, this you're film. Just okay, and maybe a little less than okay. And I, I think the reason I feel like it was a little less than okay is because Robert Redford and David Lowry are better than this, and I feel mm. like they're better than this. And they could have. I feel like it was, you know, pretty much, you know, stereotypical biopic we talked about with Bohemian Rhapsody. This was stereotypical kind of feel good not really trying to achieve anything kind of a hallmark channel movie mm-hmm. um, dialogue. I thought a lot of the dialogue was pretty cheesy and terrible. Hmm. Um, and I feel like having Redford, he had, does have a star quality. You can't deny that, but I feel like it's just too paint by numbers, too much relying on his charisma. When you give him this really lazy kind of winking dialogue and you're just, it, to me it became kind of cringeworthy some of the best dialogue I feel like is delivered by other people in the film. Sissy Spacek. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Casey Affleck, who apparently is a favorite of David Lowry, <laughs> Danny Glover, Tom Waits. Um, I feel like the supporting cast kind of, in many ways to me, kind of overshadows Robert Redford, hmm. which okay. was kind of surprising to me. Yeah, that is um, interesting. I, I, I didn't get that same feeling from it. As far as dialogue goes, um, mine was more story driven. Just yeah, feeling like okay. it was lacking on it. Um, I will say there were some dialogue moments that uh, you're probably maybe you're thinking of a little bit. I could see some of the argument with them. It's uh, there is a couple scenes between Robert Redford and Sissy Spacek where the the dialogue was kind of meandering and didn't really have a lot interesting to say and was very cliche dialogue between them. Well, and it, yeah, go, it goes some from, of that. and it just there again, you know, it's kind of writing could have been a little bit more impressive. Sound like a broken record yeah. tone because it juxtaposes, you know, kind of this glib bank robbing and all that stuff. And then goes into seemingly a very glanced mortality thoughts on dying or thoughts on broken See, relationships. That was, and, and that's where I feel like they missed a lot. Just doesn't v- handle it very well. But I agree with you. Like you said, the praises of the film, the cinematography, the going for the seventies vibe, the costume design, the production design, the, even the way the film's edited. Yes. I feel like they definitely captured, you could tell it's kind of a love letter to this style of films, oh, yeah. a love letter to Robert Redford's career. So, you know, all of that made sense and I thought it was well done. And that's not, I felt like this movie didn't have many, you know, memorable moments except for two. Well, you could say three, one that, but it's kind of a hackneyed three. I did like that montage sequence that you're talking about. It was basically the escape sequence. (laughs) Yeah, that's my favorite. I thought that was well done, but that wasn't really inventive, but that was. That was well done. Well, it was just it was it was actually unique within the film. It, it kind of came out kinda of nowhere surprising. and like, oh, I see where they're going now. They're going to do something kind of kind of fun with this and interesting and a little meta, you know, a little, a little bit uh, weaving. I mean, yeah, I wonder how many of the moments in that montage were actually inspired by moments from Robert Redford's films because there's yeah. a lot of them I feel like probably were. Probably so. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Um, there's a bathroom confrontation kind of meeting between. <laughs> Robert Redford's character and Casey Affleck, who plays kind of the policeman who's tracking him down. And he plays they, John Hunt, a police officer. And they kind of have a meeting and kind of, 
I felt like that dialogue and the looks they were exchanged in that piece that I did like that. That yeah, was like a, was a set piece that I, or a little scene that I thought was well done. We mentioned the montage or the escape sequence. The other one, and I have to say it was how it was shot. There's no dialogue in it. Um, I'll just kind of leave it ambiguous <laughs> so mm-hmm. as not to spoil anything for people who haven't seen the movie, but Redford having a horseback ride mm-hmm. and then how that ride concludes. Um, I didn't really see that coming quite how it happened. And that was surprising to me. Yeah. I actually liked the way mm-hmm. I liked what that scene did. So it's not without its merits, but I felt like it just kind of fell short and being a little too, a little too cutesy. Mm. <laughs> I might've liked it a little more than you. Um, okay. the, the, some of the, some of the dialogue scenes and the acting by Robert Redford didn't, didn't bother me. I thought it was all pretty good. I just wish the film had more to say about the topics it was dancing around, you know, the mortality side. There are a lot of little hints about mortality and that could be a subject. And I kind of waited for them to explore that more and they never really did. Right. Then there was the, uh, uh, fatherhood angle that I think was also hinted on and just See, nothing happened those with that. Are threads that that's what made me like this film less because yeah. I've seen catch me if you can. Right. And based on a true, you know, Frank Abagnale, based on a true account of somebody who did some stuff and was tracked down by a FBI agent. So in this film, we have, you know, two very similar characters. This guy's a bank robber. He's much older, mm-hmm. but still like what's going to set this different. Okay. Stylistically, the way they did a throwback to 70 movies that kind of saved it because of that. But outside of that, I didn't feel like there was a lot more there because they didn't pull in the new threads of mortality well, they or have, fatherhood or maybe weighing they kind of this was the one thing they kept kind of mentioning but then I didn't feel like they kind of explored it in an effective way the fact of this is what this guy does he can't yeah. do anything else because he doesn't know how to do anything else and like kind of a wasted life some would say by spending a lot of it in prison but kind of I don't know and they they kind of played it for kind of maybe cutesy laughs and kind of like, Oh yeah, well just be a bank robber. Cause it doesn't harm anybody. And it's okay. Like that something about the way there was no real depth to it. Carried that. Yeah. And I agree. I, I was more dis- disappointed by the threads that it could have explored and it didn't. I would have actually rather they didn't even bring those threads up. I see. You know, like the thing about the, the, uh, uh, I'll just, I'll just say fatherhood is all I'm going to say. Sure. Just not spoil anything, but there's a little bit of a sub thread about, fatherhood and kind of a role fathers playing and relationship with family and it's dropped. I mean, it's gone. Like right. it's, you have one scene kind of a, an actress is in the film that I didn't expect to be in there and she has one scene and then that's <laughs> and it. And then she's, then we don't talk about it anymore. Yeah. And then there's the whole bit of mortality, the fact of his age and all, which wasn't really examined late in the film. You know, it's a lot of interesting opportunities to discuss something deeper and, and really get, get, down deep in the the subject and just never really did it ended on a very high cursory level so that was my disappointment is i I could have seen it going so much more right on the surface though i enjoyed it from the style and the kind of uh, energy and sometimes the lack of energy it had all that worked for me look and feel of the film Hmm. it's just the themes and what it was trying to say just didn't go very far gotcha yeah I'll say a couple of call-out scenes, too. The ones you mentioned are ones I like as well. There is a flashback scene to a car chase um, in a moment where the hood of a car opens and just a flood of cash money comes out. Very 70s. Oh, very 70s. It yeah. was an awesome shot in general, just the way it was shot, and just the way the cash kind of spiraled out of the car, like almost like a flock of birds flying out of the car. 
just really neat kind of it was a short little chase scene but i think it was well shot and well edited i really did enjoy the banter which i we didn't have enough of it but the banter between the other two members of the of the crew the mm-hmm. other two members of the danny gang, glover and tom danny waits. glover and tom yeah. waits they had some really i thought very natural feeling dialogue especially like just some of their stories tom waits in particular yeah. had one story at a bar that was just about, it Christmas, had, about Christmas. About Christmas. Time. It had nothing bearing on the rest of the no. film, but it was just a fun little story. At the end of it, you're like, I like the way they just they laid it out there and just let them roll with that. Right. If there had been more moments like that throughout the film, that might have helped elevate uh, my appreciation even more. But um, again, a lot of really great little ideas with the film that they just didn't go forward with any of them enough to to do anything interesting with. Um, but overall, I'll say I, I like the film. I just. I liked it from a style standpoint. I enjoyed watching it, but I, if I really sat and thought about it, uh, there's not a lot there. So I'll close out my thoughts on it. Um, okay. You know, I kind of mentioned in the opening, he's done Eighth Body of Saints, which was, you know, independent movie. Then he did Pete's Dragon, funded yeah. by Disney. He went on to make A Ghost Story and then Old Man the Gun. His next film, Alan, okay. is going to be a live action telling of Peter Pan. Hmm. So I'm wondering if, you know, am I interested to see that? No, but the money that he's going to make from that, like the money he made from Pete's Dragon, I wonder if this is going to kind of be his thing where he makes big budget movie and then makes some movies that are very, you know, kind of his thing. Because a ghost story definitely mm-hmm. had the feeling of something he kind of went off. It was kind of a surprise. I think he went off and made this. Um, so. I don't know. He's a curious, he's an interesting director. He's definitely got some style to him. You can kind of see his little hallmarks. So am I looking forward to Peter Pan? Probably not, <laughs> but I'll be willing to give a how shot. he handles it. I mean, I gave Peach Dragon, his Peach Dragon a shot because I knew he was directing it and it was going to be something interesting and not maybe a run of the mill. It was a little better than run of the mill. Okay. Hmm. And it had some moments that I liked on it and some that just didn't work. But I could see that he was trying something. And I think, you know, he, he worked with Robert Redford on that film. So Lisa got a connection with them going on this one together, too. Right. Um, yeah, I'd definitely be interested to see, like, his next bigger budget film. Um, how does it work? Be very curious to see that. Right. All right. So that's The Old Man and the Gun. Like I said, not getting tons of uh, performances in, in theaters across the nation. But if you were uh, able to go see it. I think we're both saying it's worth seeing. Maybe <laughs> I'm a little more high on it than you are. Than me. Yeah, um, but um, it has some issues. Had some things that didn't work for us. But I will say I I liked it from a stylistic standpoint and just kind of what they were trying to do from the look and the feel of the film. I thought was was interesting. Um, so that's out there, and I'm sure it'll be online before too long for people to check out. Be interesting to see if it gets a. Nomination for Robert Redford just based on this may be my last movie. Yeah, if it and if it does, and I hate, hate hate to put it down, but if he got a nomination, it would truly just be a body of work, sure, mo- and like more of a celebration celebration of his work than for this film because it, yeah. it was not a it was not a top tier Oscar caliber performance, you know, for him. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. That was our two reviews. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we have a couple of movie news items to to chew on, and then we'll end the show with our recommendations for the episode. So you're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. We'll be back in just a moment. 
When you need a dose of entertainment chatter or just a good laugh, be sure to check out Chick Chat on The Mesh. It's girls talking about stuff, well, girls want to talk about. Celebrities, gossip, fads, boys. It's kind of the guilty pleasure of The Mesh Network. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. But you know what I always thought was really exciting? Is at the beginning of a new season when the montage would change yes. and the people were like older or they had something new. Like when the- you got new Becky on Roseanne. Yes. <laughs> That's an example. Perfect example. You need to know. You can't just start shows and then new people are on there and you're thinking, what? what I needed about, the montage. What about on 90210? Okay, that 90210, it changed every season. It you know? did. And then they had the beach summer one where like where they the worked old, at the country club yes, yes. you know when the, the opening credits had them like wearing bikinis and stuff and uh-huh. then another one would be like when they're just in that white room and on chairs that swivel around right oh <laughs> yeah 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 so it's all it's even all. Baywatch when they change lifeguards absolutely they had new people running down the beach in red bikinis but you knew they're a new lifeguard <laughs> I need to get invested in that so come have a listen to chick chat on the mesh.tv you know you want to Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. This is Alan and Chris with you. And before we get on to the rest of the show, just want to make a couple quick mentions about a few things. First off, you are listening to this show via TheMesh.TV. That is our online media network of podcasts and original content that is free and able to listen to anytime you'd like to um, on your device of choice. So as a podcast, that means that you have the capability of not only just listening to this show, but if you like this show, you can subscribe to it, which means every time a new episode comes out, it gets delivered to your device of choice. Whatever device you use to listen to podcast, you would have it delivered to you automatically. Now, if you're someone that don't, doesn't know what a podcast is and doesn't understand that, I would recommend that you kind of take a look on Apple iTunes if you use iTunes. Google Play is another place where you can find podcasts. Read up about them. See all the podcasts out there available on the internet. And uh, you normally have a a choice of what kind of program you want to use to start downloading and listening to them. But we do encourage you to to give uh, us a listen or a subscription if you feel like it's something you want to stay on top of. Because the great thing is when this episode's released, it gets delivered to you without you having to go online and trying to look for it or find it. We basically push the episodes to you when you subscribe. So that's all on TheMesh.TV. There are other podcast shows on there as well uh, that you can take a listen to. And uh, always putting out some new content, so we encourage you to, to give it a watch. And um, subscribe to the show here at Foot Candle Films if you're so inclined. So, Chris. Yes. Let's go into some movie news. Okay. We can do that for a moment. I've got one item, and unless another one comes to me while we're recording here. Okay. I'll go ahead and jump first. Okay, sure. So, you know, whenever I see a film from another country that kind of gets a lot of acclaim or becomes a bigger movie, there's always a part of me that wonders, are they going to remake this for an American audience? And sometimes I get excited about them thinking about them doing it because I think it's a film that may translate and work really well with an English speaking audience. There's other times I say, nope, don't even think about trying to remake that. that. That would be a disaster. We've had examples on both sides of the fence over the years. Um, I'm trying to think offhand just some good examples, but I know the Let the Right One In right. was a – was that a Danish film? I think so. Done in America as just Let Me In, Let me in mm-hmm. which was 
pretty good. I um, never saw it. I saw the original, but I never saw it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay. It held up enough of the original, but put enough of a little more American slant on it. I think it worked. Did okay. You could even go to things like uh, The Office, the TV show, you know, mm-hmm. where it started out in the UK, came over to America. It works sometimes. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Uh, right. I can't think of a good example offhand, but I know there's been plenty where it didn't. So there was a film that came out in 2014. I don't, uh, I think, I guess we did review it. I know I saw it. Okay. Force Majeure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did we review it? Um. I don't think we did review it, but I definitely saw it. You saw it. I saw yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. So saw those it. of you not familiar with the film, um, it is a film. Oh, gosh. What country was it from? I think there again, it was kind of a, a Scandinavian nor Scandinavian. Yeah, something. Well, this. the whole premise of the film is that it's a family that goes on a vacation and it's a ski vacation. And during mm-hmm. the, the course of that ski vacation, there is a uh, avalanche. avalanche. Yeah. That threatens the the lodge where they're staying. But the actual rest of the movie, that happens in the first third of the movie. The rest of the movie is the family kind of moving on after basically their father proved that he's going to be much quicker to abandon them to save his own ass than stick around. Pretty much. In the... You call it a comedy, but you know it was a pretty tense film, and it was a pretty, oh, yeah. like, got pretty dark comedy as well. Because, you know, this is a family that's really questioning are we really as committed to each other as we, we feel like we should be? Right. That is a film that when I saw it, I thought, I don't see how this would ever translate to a <laughs> American audience. Well, guess what? They're making it. <laughs> yeah. I have heard of Will yeah. Ferrell, Will Ferrell and Julia Louise Dreyfus. Hmm. Now, right away, I, I hear this pairing. Yeah, I can see, but that I part. hear that pairing. And I, I, I love Will Ferrell. I think he's still a very, very funny guy. But right away, my gut instinct is like, oh, no, they're going to make this like more comedy slapstick funny. Right. Which I'm like, oh, that's that's not good. I don't I don't think that's a good idea. However, reading a little deeper into the uh, talk about the, 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 the remake here, you've got the Oscar winning team of Jim Rash and Nat Faxon, who did The Descendants, the okay. movie with George Clooney, which was also pitched as a little bit of a. Had a little comedy to it, but it ended up to be a much more dramatic movie. Sure, Jim Rash, I'll say, went to UNC Chapel Hill, Carolina, where I did. Uh, we crossed paths very, very minimally, but you know, we worked at the same TV station there. Uh, he was involved with the TV show Community. He was one of the actors on that. But since then, he's actually written and kind of helped make a lot of great work. So the two of them being the ones that are going to be scripting uh, this um, – I think they're actually both co-directing it as well. Really? That leads me to believe that maybe we're going for something more than just a slapstick remake of this film. And it could be a little, little more to it. Sure. So that's got me back a little more intrigued, but, um, hmm. and the script is from uh, a creator of the show peep show. His name is Jesse Armstrong. He's worked on the films in the loop. And then the one Four lions, both yeah. of them were comedies and I'm putting air quotes around comedy because they also both had a lot deeper things to say. So it kind of leads me to believe you put this team together. I think this may be something where it's a little more, little more going on than just let's put Will Ferrell in a situation where he can look like a a foolish father, you know? So, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious. Um, I think it, you know, easy enough to say, I feel like it's either going to be really good or it's going to be a disaster. Um, but because of the people, if I just heard the idea, I'd say, yeah, that's probably going to be a disaster. 
but the people involved, the writers, the directors that you're talking about, it sounds like it could be really good. So I, I don't know. I don't well, think that, I think it's going to be you know it's it's going to be a polarizing film. I feel like. Well, and I think the question for me is: Do we get slapstick Will Ferrell, or do we get the the Will Ferrell we saw in Everything Must Go, right? In a couple other films he did, where it was a very uh, very low level performance, but yet effective for the film. Sure. So that's to me going to be the big key. I think Julia Louis Dreyfus could play the range. She could go if they go slapstick. She could do that well, if they go more serious. I think she could pull that off too. You know, I find her casting really interesting too because you know she doesn't seem to do a whole lot, yeah. and she did enough said with James Gandolfini, which was really good, good. and was a restrained, not oh, like yeah. out there comedic. She didn't play manic like her stuff or anything, in Seinfeld yeah. or Veep mm-hmm. or whatever. So, yeah, I'm just I feel like. She's, I mean, who knows? I feel like she's choosy maybe with what she's doing movie-wise. So the fact that she's willing, you know, she's signed on to this, I think. Well, actually, I'll back it up. It wasn't even that she signed on to it. It sounds like it was her desire to remake this film. Interesting. So Will Ferrell is the one that actually has gotten added on recently. He signed on to mm-hmm. be the host. Okay. Yeah. So I think she's actually more of the driving force to seeing some of this remade. So that's that's Interesting. good. I think yeah. that's a good sign for it as well. I'm curious. I'm I'm. Curious is the word I will use at this point. So we will see. But it is kind of funny how that's one of the few films I saw, foreign films, that I remember thinking to myself, man, they'll never be able to pull this off as a remake or try to make an American version of this. And well, now they are trying to do that. So Interesting. We'll, we'll see how it goes. You had something too, Chris, didn't well, you? Well, yeah. Talk about an upcoming movie. Um, it doesn't have Will Ferrell in it, but it does have his friend, writer-director Adam McKay. Okay. Um, and... If you'd told me the synopsis of what it's going to be about, a bureaucratic Washington insider quietly becomes the most powerful man in the world as vice president to George W. Bush, reshaping the country and the globe in ways still felt today. I'd be like, nope, don't care. Because Mm -hmm. I just, I I don't, you know, it just doesn't interest me. But the fact that Adam McKay is doing it, who gave us the big short, Mm -hmm. which I liked quite a bit, which had Christian Bale in it and also had other people that are in this movie as well. Steve Carell returns for um, this movie. It's called Vice. Um, I'm interested to see what he does. The Christian Bale plays Dick Cheney. Uh, Amy Adams plays his wife. Steve Carell plays Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> um, who plays? Oh, Sam Rockwell yeah. plays George, George w. Bush, w. Bush. Which and granted, hearing about this, I saw the trailer for this before Bohemian Rhapsody, and I was like, okay, I. I want to I want to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the trailer works. The trailer works. Yeah. yeah. Will the movie work? Don't know. But the trailer. But, you know, the trailer definitely works for me. Yeah. Just the way it was edited and the way they just the dialogue and everything. <laughs> it just looks it looks good. Yeah. Um, so. So you've seen it as well. I've what are seen it feelings? several times, actually. Okay. And uh, yeah, I'm 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 interested in the film. Okay. Um I don't even know what angle they're going to take with it, which is what's interesting is that I, Adam McKay, you you know him, if you know more about his political stance and all, I would, I would imagine the film would not be very flattering for, uh, for, uh, for Mr. Cheney. Right. But yet some of the choices in the trailer of shots and some of the dialogue, you know, even his wife at one point makes the comments like, you know, when, uh, when people perceive that you have power, all they want to do is try to take it away from you. Almost like implying that maybe he's being kind of 
people around him are trying to, to bring him down. Right. I don't know. I don't know what angle they're going to take with it. So I'm really curious. But, um, you know, Christian Bell putting on another physicality type performance, uh, you know, that's interesting in its own. I, right. Yeah, I have to say when I first saw this stuff, I didn't recognize him. Yeah. And no, you know, because I maybe it was just because the lighting or the way he was sitting. Then some of the other shots, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's Christian Bale. But originally in this setup, they're, you know, the, what they show in the trailer is basically Bush pitching to Cheney, hey, I want you to be my vice president. You know, and basically it's this, just this little scene with them talking back and forth. And yeah, I didn't even recognize him. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, I like the big short. If he if if the film is shot in the same style and presented in the same kind of nice pacing and kind of a little bit of breaking the fourth wall occasionally like the big short did, right. I think that'd be really interesting to see for this kind of biopic. Um, sure. And just Adam McKay doing it, I think, creates a little more intrigue for me to want to want to check it out when it comes out. So it's got a lot going for it, and I think the trailer's working. I've heard a lot of people, actually, even my wife has said. Oh yeah, I definitely want to see that, that. movie. <laughs> and it would not be the kind of movie she'd ever be interested in. But sure. I think the trailer and the Christian Bell's performance and the fact that they really kind of nailed everybody else's look. I mean, Donald Rumsfeld is Steve Carell. I mean, yeah, that yeah, looks yeah. just like even Lynn Cheney, Amy Adams. Yeah, yeah, they got they got them the parts all right. They they all looked the part in the trailer. Yeah, just so. to look typical biopic about political stuff doesn't really get my interest. Right. But the Same fact here. that Adam McKay is doing it, I'm like, okay. Okay. There may be something here then. That could yeah. be interesting. And like I you agree. said, the, the trailer sold me. Yeah. So. All right. Great. All right. Well, that's news. So let's move on and kind of wrap up the show with our recommendations, Chris. If that's okay. Sure. So we each both present a film that we encourage people to check out. Uh, either one that maybe we revisited, maybe one that uh, we just got a chance to catch up with. In my case, it's, Still a new movie that you could go around to the movie theater and see. Uh, so if it's okay, how about I'll go ahead and go first. Sure. We, last episode, did we do the review of Halloween, the 1978 version? I believe we did. That was last episode. Yes. Okay. Paired with uh, First Man, I think. Correct. And we talked a lot, of, we've talked a lot in the last few episodes about the 2018 remake. Well, not even remake, sequel. Directed right. by David Gordon Green. Right. Uh, but we have not had a chance to review it. Uh, that, that, that opportunity has passed, so I'm going to give us a little, little chance to, to, to have a few moments of dialogue about it. Because it is my recommendation. The okay. 2018 Halloween, directed by David Gordon Green and starring uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm not a horror guy. I'm not a big horror <laughs> guy at all. I, uh, you know, I don't seek out the films. I don't make plans to go see them when they come out. And I've never seen any other Halloween movies except the original. Never seen it. I think maybe I've been I think at a you party. And I are in the same boat. I think maybe I've been at a party where somebody was playing some in the back. But I mean, I've never sat down to watch right. a Halloween sequel. So this actually was probably custom made for us because it's like it ignores <laughs> all the other sequels and just picks up from the first one. We saw the original not too long ago, just in the last few weeks, and reviewed it. So. Right. It was that was a good thing for me to do because I liked having seen the original within a couple of weeks of seeing this new one. Sure. I will say I enjoyed this new one. I thought for a slasher horror movie, I think it was really good. Um, I think it did enough interesting bits with the film to make it unique and to really hold my attention without straying too far away from the general formula of this madman killer escapes and goes on the 
hunt for somebody. I mean, the storyline's pretty simple, sure. but there's enough interesting things mixed in. The way they use Jamie Lee Curtis and a little bit of this uh, commentary on the life that she's chosen to lead these last 40 years and the impact it's had on her family, mm-hmm. I thought was some really interesting notes that you don't normally see from a horror film like this. Um, I thought the performances were all pretty good. And it had just enough scares. I think it had some creative use of <laughs> killing, I guess, if you could say, you know, to make it uh, a really an interesting watch. So I, I had a good time with it. Uh, you and I have talked just in passing here in the offices and all. I know you feel much the same way. Yeah. Were there some things about it that really kind of worked for you more? more yeah, than I just I thought there were interesting callbacks to the original, but yet also making things kind of. You know, updating certain things, keeping things fresh. Um, but they didn't try to, you know, David Gordon Green, I think cinematically, you know, I feel like there were some things, some touches, the way shots were framed and things that, you know, I feel like you could tell maybe he had a hand in it. Danny McBride, who helped do some of the script writing, I think you could tell some of his humor maybe was there a little bit as well. I'm thinking about a conversation between a babysitter and uh, <laughs> a kid that she's babysitting specifically yes. with that. But, um, yeah, I think when you were saying, you know, it doesn't deviate from the horror film thing too much. That wasn't a put down. It's just that's no, what yeah. this film is trying to sure. be. It is a kind of a continuation. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't try to be so self-important that it kind of takes itself out. No, it realizes I'm making a horror film. Mm-hmm. I am a sequel to this other original. I will keep certain things and I will, you know, freshen up certain things. And yeah, overall for me, it worked. And I don't seek out horror movies just yeah. like you. Right. But I was interested in it because David Gordon Green and I, I thought it was good. good. I think it was a good good continuation. Yeah, I'm going to recommend it. I like, you know, even if you're like me and you're not a big horror fan, but if you found some level of respect for the original, even though I know the original film, you and I were kind of picking apart some of the things we sure. didn't think worked as well, you still have to respect the film for what it is. And this is a great homage to that film 40 years later. And... um I think Jamie Lee Curtis was pretty good in it. I yeah. think she was fun to watch her, her revisiting the character with a little bit of a older, wiser and a definitely more protective slant to it. Um, it worked for me. So I, that's my recommendation. Halloween, the 2018 version directed by David Gordon Green. All right. What have you got for us? So my film is also relatively new. It just recently came out on Netflix, but you know, when things come out on Netflix, they come out and you don't really know because there are like 15 other things that also yeah. came out on Netflix. Um, but the film is The Kindergarten Teacher, starring uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal oh, right. and a very young kid, Parker Sivak, I think is his name. But basically, it is about a teacher who has this very young student. And if you can imagine kind of a odd combination of a narrative film that blends Patterson, which was all about poetry that we talked about. I think we reviewed it on the show. We did. Sure. Um, with an inversion of the ideas that are mentioned in the documentary, my kid could paint that mm-hmm. about, and my kid could paint that. It's about, you know, is this kid really painting this stuff or not? And in this film, which is a narrative, but it's this kid who's saying this poetry and he is really doing it. Hmm. And it's just kind of an interesting examination of, you know, the teacher getting really interested in the fact that this kid can do it and kind of, I don't don't know. I don't want to spoil anything else, but it's, I found it fascinating. It's very, you know, quiet, simple film, but, um, it was the director's, I think it was only her second film, uh, Sarah Colangelo, I think Mm -hmm. is her name. 
Okay. But anyways, it's it's on Netflix. I really liked it. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal was awesome in it. And oh, the well. kid, now granted, I'd have to see this kid in something else to know <laughs> to mm. know how good an actor he was. But maybe it was the director. Because sometimes when you see really young kids, it's just like, you know, okay, this person really knows how to work with young yeah. young children and film them and get them to get performances out of them. Kind of like when the Florida project was going on, how certain things happen in there. And you're like, is it the director? Is it yeah. Sean Baker? Or is it the little kid? You know, who really knows? You have to wait and kind of see. Um, this kid I thought was really good. Maggie Gyllenhaal was really good. That's great. Some of the cinematography is awesome. So the kindergarten teacher, it's a new movie, uh, but it's on Netflix. So check it out. Do you know it's a remake? I did not know. It was yeah, a it's a 2014 Israeli film. Aha. Uh-huh. Because I'd heard of it. Okay, so here's an example yeah. of something didn't know it was a remake, but to me it was good. I'd be curious if I liked the uh, yeah. the original as well. I remember had I had remembered hearing about the Kindergarten Teachers a film. Okay. And then later on, I heard this new one with Maggie Gyllenhaal, and uh, but I just looked up. Yeah, it's a it's a 2014 Israeli film. That's I mean, being the, the storyline is simple enough. It's pretty universal. That I could see how it could easily be remade because it's, you know, the plot is teacher, you know, gets really interested in a student. Okay. (laughs) So um, that's interesting. interesting. Yeah, that's good to know. All right. So that's our recommendations. We are recommending Halloween, the 2018 version, and The Kindergarten Teacher. Halloween, you can see at the movie theaters still while the time that we're recording this. The Kindergarten Teacher is on Netflix. Yes. So... Because of the way Netflix is bombarded with new stuff, you may have to go actually to the search bar and search for the film because <laughs> it may be a little harder to find otherwise. That's my biggest frustration right now yeah. on Netflix. It's so much great content, but yet, man, it's hard to find it or get exposed to it unless somebody tells you about it. So thank right. you for bringing this up as a, as a recommendation. All right. And in recapping, we did review the films uh, The Old Man and the Gun. We reviewed the film Bohemian Rhapsody. We talked about a American version of force majeure and the pros and cons of that. And then we also talked about the film project that Chris brought up, which was, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I just Vice. blinked. Vice. Oh okay. yeah. Vice, the Dick Cheney movie. So whew, it is a Friday afternoon and it's been sure. a long week. So ready to unwind here. All right. So that was our episode. As I mentioned earlier, you are listening to this episode on the mesh.tv network. So that's T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV is the podcast network. Uh, please go, feel free to go check out some back episodes or listen to other shows on the network and uh, subscribe to the ones you really like. We love to hear from listeners. We always have. So, Chris, if somebody's hearing this episode and wants to talk to us, uh, how, how would you walk them through the steps of doing so? Easiest way is to send us an email at info at the mesh TV and just mention foot candle films in the subject line. And that way we can hear what you like, didn't like about the movie we just reviewed or how we are right or wrong. Or you could also mention a movie that you want us to try to review to get it on our radar so that we make sure we check it out. That's probably the best way. Alan and I also have letterboxd accounts where we try to put up, at least the films that we've been seeing. Sometimes we give them star ratings. Sometimes we may even write a few thoughts. So that's another way you can kind of keep up with us. Um, also, I would be remiss. The 2019 Foot Candle Film Festival is already accepting entries. So if you're a filmmaker, please consider submitting your work. We are already taking entries for that big event that will be held in September of 2019. But, you know, we all, we start early. So 
Yeah, if you, you are a filmmaker, you know somebody a filmmaker, you've got access to somebody working on a film, we would really love to have the film submitted and considered for our festival. We have a committee that will review all the films and kind of help us determine the best selections for the festival we show next September. So yes, please go visit our festival website and you can see a button for submission there as well. And that website is footcandlefilmfestival.com is where you can go and see that button and see that update there as well. And and it'll just redirect you to Film Freeway, which is where we actually get submissions from through that service. But yeah, you can go to either footcandlefilmfestival.com and go there. But one of the two ways, we'd we'd love to get your film. All right. Well, that is our episode for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back soon with another episode with more reviews, news, and discussion. So for Alan Jackson and Chris Fry, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.